You're listening to the Banner Church Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. For more information, visit us online at thebannerchurch.com. Well, good morning. How's everybody doing this morning? Good? Good? How many of you guys saw the alpaca outside? I was informed many times it was an alpaca, not a llama. And uh, I'm going to be totally honest with you, just, just, you know, just an honest pastor up here. I don't know what the difference is. <laughs> and some of you were like, come on, man, how do you really not know? It's because I, I don't know. I'm not from Peru. Um, but I'm excited that you're joining us here today. If you're new here in person or online, this is one of the first times you're joining us. I just want to say welcome uh, for myself and my wife. We're so glad you're here. You're joining us in the middle of kind of a, a unique uh, series that we're on on Angels and Demons, and you're joining us on a really busy Sunday because we got a lot of good things going on. Uh, we got Discover after service. Uh, we're going to have food, and we're going to just tell you a little bit about who we are, what we do. Uh, and then tonight, we're going to be, all the men of the church are going to be gathering here, watching uh, the football game, the Sunday night game here on the TVs, and eating a pretty epic dinner, right, men? Come on, oh, come on, give me like a huh or something, come on. Some of you single men, come on, this is your moment. There we go. <laughs> Show them there. All right. Um, but we're going to be doing that. Uh, I, when we planned the event, we, it, it was pre-daylight savings, and Arizona doesn't have daylight savings, so everyone else moved on, and then we kind of stayed. Uh, so we said five. The game's actually on at six, but we'll be here at five uh, watching the early game, kind of the end of it, prepping for the next, and then we'll probably eat around. Dave, our men's pastor, tell me. 5.30? 5.30, we're going to eat. So be here. It's going to be pretty epic, um, and, and I'm excited. So. But yeah, we're in a really unique series. I hope you guys have enjoyed that. How many of you were here last week and you were able to hear Jamin's message uh, in our series? How many of you guys were here? Did you enjoy that? Yeah? Man, that was amazing. He so gifted, so anointed. I was just, I was blown away. Um, but I feel like the Lord was like, hey, call Jamin. He's got a word. And man, he did. He, he brought it. So uh, I'm excited you're here with us. Uh, we, we're doing this series called Angels and Demons. And maybe... Uh, you, you've, you've not been here, it's your first time, and you're like, why preach a series amidst COVID on something that's kind of, uh, kind of heavy, right? It's kind of a unique thing, angels and demons, why, why preach that? And it's for a couple reasons, I just want to kind of remind us together. The first is that as believers, we need to be reminded, and as unbelievers, we need, some of you, some of us need to be awakened, those of you who are not believers, awakened to the reality that there is an unseen world, and there are beings that inhabited it. There is a spiritual world. Another reason that we, that we preach this is because a lot of what we know about the spiritual world or a lot of what we believe about celestial or angelic beings is mostly like myth, legend, or TV, right? Most of our understanding comes from cartoons when we were a kid or things we've seen on TV or some kind of legend. But as believers, our goal should be to understand something biblically, and so we're teaching this here so we can understand what the Bible says about spiritual forces. Finally, why, why preach this? It's so that we can be prepared for spiritual warfare. Now, next week, I'm going to talk specifically about what is spiritual warfare? How do, we, how do we fight spiritually? But I think it's important to understand as a church, as believers, that there is a spiritual battle taking place. It's not that we're trying to be weird or hyper-spiritual, but we have to be prepared for a spiritual battle. 
I, uh, I like to study different parts of history and different random facts. And I was reading about how in World War One, when the Austro-Hungarian Empire was marching into Serbia, they were uh, very unprepared for this war. They were a, a monarchy that was in complete decline, and they were very unprepared. And so they walked in to the Serbian shooting range. So where all the army was lined up to like practice shooting them, they marched into because they were unprepared, right? They were not ready for the battle and they made a really dumb move. So I want us as Christians to be prepared for the battle because hear me church, this is so important. There is a spiritual battle going on. There is a spiritual battle going on constantly. And sometimes the things we face in the physical are simply physical. But often the obstacles that we're facing and the things we're encountering in the physical are not solely physical, but they are also spiritual. And so we have to understand that the giants and the things in our life that we might come across and the, and the, the mountains that are in our path and the things we're facing and the things you're facing today, whether you're here in person or you're joining us online, are often not solely physical they're also spiritual. Are you still with me? So for the past couple weeks, we've been covering the spiritual realm. And I drew those circles. I don't know if you remember that. I don't have my board up here, so I'm not going to draw any pictures. But you can go back. You can watch those on our website or all those things. Uh, but we talked about who lives in the spiritual realm. We talked about angelic beings. And we talked about the Lord. And we talked about um, the divine council. And we talked about, um, you know, Elohim, all of those angelic beings. And then a few weeks ago, we talked about the fall. We talked about where did evil come from? And then we talked about Satan. And we talked about who is he and, 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 and this really uh, powerful and really evil uh, supernatural uh, spiritual being. And so, what of that, two weeks ago, we talked about what we would call the first demonic rebellion. And that was the fall. Satan comes to uh, Eve in Eden to destroy God's plan. What was God's plan? God's plan was that he might live in communion and in unity with you in relationship for all of time. But Satan said, no, 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 no. I don't want that. I want to be in charge. I want it my way. I'm going to do what I want, so I'm going to bring division. And he did. But today we're going to talk about the second demonic rebellion. You're like, there's more than one? Yep, there's three. <laughs> well, there's three we're going to talk about today. And the second demonic rebellion is a, a shocking, difficult, and vague scripture. So that should lead for a fun, uh, fun message today, right? Amen? But our scripture today is on the Nephilim. Someone say Nephilim. Nephilim. Have you ever heard of the Nephilim? I don't, you might have been reading your Bible. You might have heard of this uh, scripture or come across it. And uh, it is kind of a very shocking scripture. And it's a little vague. And there's been all these things drawn off of it. And I was laughing with Delaney because we've really been just inviting our neighbors in our community. And I was like, it would be the day that we're just inviting our community to come that I'm talking about something so obscure and, uh, and also kind of shocking. But hear me. If you've never heard this, I, I want to tell you that if we can kind of stick together and walk through this together that I think, even though this is a vague and kind of, you know, shocking story, I think if we can unwrap it together that it will actually transform our lives. Hear me. I just, just roll with me. You got this. Trust me. You got this. Stay engaged. You got this. In fact, look at your neighbor so that you're together and just say, you got this. Okay, good. See, we're together. Okay, pre press in with me here this morning. There we go. I'm going to say a lot of names. We're going to get into just like the pots and pans part of the Bible. The part that, you know, you did your Bible reading. You did your Bible reading with your accountability partner. You know that part. 
they're like, hey, did you read, you know, the 42 verses about the implementation of the tabernacle? You're like, of course, it changed my life. But you, have, you didn't. <laughs> Let's just be honest, you didn't. You're waiting until you get to Luke. It's okay. God bless you. <laughs> We're going to talk about those <laughs> all at one time. Uh, <laughs> no, I'm just joking. <laughs> but I want to go to Genesis. If you brought your Bible, open with me to Genesis chapter 6. Genesis chapter 6, verse 1. We're going to read verse 1 through 4. But Genesis chapter 6 at the beginning is like a little prologue. It's going to give us the introduction to what is about to happen with Noah and the flood. So if you ever heard of Noah, right, he was the, God is going to wipe out man. It says in verse 5 of Genesis 6 that God looked at the hearts of man and they were only continually evil. There was just nothing but evil. And so he said, I'm going to start over. But he saves Noah and his family. But before we get to there, there's another type of evil that's happening before this. So there's the evil of man in verse 5. But before we get this, like, prologue ahead of this moment, here's the flood. Here's this kind of prologue preparing us for that moment. So we're going to read that together. If you were to watch a movie, maybe about, like, a Roman legion that goes into fight, this would be that screen that pops up at the beginning of the movie that, like, lists out, like, for 100 years the army has fought at the wall. That never. This is that moment, Okay. Okay, so those of you who would normally text and miss this and make your, you know, wife go back and watch that slide again, just stay with me because this is important. Okay, Genesis 6, verse 1. When man began to multiply on the face of the land and the daughters, and daughters were born to them, the sons of God saw that the daughters of man were attractive, and they took as their wives any they chose. And the Lord said, My spirit shall not abide in man forever, for he is flesh. His days shall be 120 years. Verse 4, the Nephilim were on the earth in those days and also afterwards. When the sons of God came into the daughters of man, and they bore children to them. These were the mighty men who were of old, the men of renown. You guys, you guys feel like an altar call yet? <laughs> You're like, actually, mostly I'm just really confused. I'm like, why did I come on this day? Okay, trust me, it's going to be good. Follow me here, because I'm going I'm to kind of paint a little bit of a picture of what is happening, because it is really beautiful and profound what God's going to do here. Verse 2, it says, the sons of God, let's break this down a little bit. The sons of God saw the daughters of man. You're saying, did man only have daughters? No, it's just saying women, <laughs> women on the earth. Who were the sons of God? They're like, sons? Plural. Did Jesus have a brother we don't know about? It's like Jesus and Terry. Like, we don't, we don't know. <laughs> No, Jesus is the capital S, Son of God. These are the sons of God. If you were with us a couple weeks ago, then you already know this, but let me sum it up in case you weren't. The sons of God is a descriptive term for the hosts of heaven, the divine council, angelic beings that surround the throne with God, and they're with God, they're ministering with God and for God. Okay, so it's a descriptive term for angelic beings. So when it says sons of God, it means angelic beings. And specifically right here, it's meaning fallen angelic beings. Job 2.1 tells us, again, there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them to present himself before the Lord. I was making a joke about Satan in the first service, and my mic cut off, but then we got another one. And so I said, not today. But Satan is, uh, Satan is coming, coming with the sons of God, presenting himself. He's an angelic being, fallen. The sons of God are fallen angelic beings. And so verse 2 tells us that these angelic beings are taking wives. That's kind of shocking, right? You're like, wait, angelic beings can have wives? Yeah, we, we can't draw it out super far, but as we read it, yes, right? 
Like, I thought Matthew 22 said that they couldn't have wives. It says, no, it says they don't. <laughs> and that they aren't given a marriage. But that's the problem here. You're going to start picking up on the problem. Angelic beings do not have human wives. They're not crossing. What's happening here, and, and I, we're going to see, is that these angelic beings are going profoundly beyond their spiritual limits that God has put upon them. Remember a couple weeks ago we talked about Satan. Now Satan went, Satan saw all that God had given him in authority and, and beauty and might and wisdom, and yet he wanted more. He wanted to go beyond. He wanted to rule. And then I told you, I said, listen, notice how God has all these powerful angelic beings, but he only tells man, the creature he creates out of dirt, to multiply. And all the angelic beings go, wait a second, no, no, we want that. And so they begin to go beyond and overstep their spiritual limitations. And so these sons of God, the, these angelic beings are rebelling against. Are you still with me? Rebelling against God. I know this is a lot, so I'm going to try to really keep the story of the earth down to 30 minutes here. <laughs> but it says the rebellion is so bad. They take these wives. The rebellion is so bad that they're cast, they're cast into hell. Look, look at this, 2 Peter verse 4. It says, for if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to chains of gloomy darkness to be kept until the judgment. That word cast is actually tartarosis. He tartarized them. Not like the sauce. <laughs> Tartarus was the word for the abyss hell. The, the Greek god of Tartarus was in this place of constant darkness and suffering. So he puts them into the abyss. And this is how bad this place is they get cast into. They've done something so bad, they get cast into a place that's so bad that even demons don't want to go there. Right? That's pretty bad. I don't know whatever city you don't like the most, but this is worse than there. Right? So bad that when Jesus comes upon the demonic possessed man in Luke chapter 8, the demons cry, say, we are legion and we are many. They're trying to show their power and their authority. But it says in Luke 8, verse 31, it says, they begged him, Jesus, not to command them to depart into the abyss. They're like, listen, you can send us into all these pigs, but don't send us where you sent those other guys. Because that's the worst. Again, you know it's bad when demons don't want to go there, and they're the worst already. But that leads an interesting question. How come some demons get to go into pigs and some are in tartarosis in hell? What did they do that was so bad that some get to wander the earth, but some are in eternal darkness like that? They did something. Okay, well, let's keep reading. 6.3 tells us. So as the Lord said, oh, I'm sorry. J Jude 6.7 tells us this. My bad. It says, and the angels who did not stay within their own position of authority but left their proper dwelling. He has kept in eternal chains under gloomy darkness until the judgment of the great day. And he gives this explanation, verse 7. It's really good. Just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities, which likewise indulged in sexual immorality, pursued unnatural desires, served as an example by undergoing a punishment of eternal fire. Okay, this is an interesting connection I want to make here. He's saying... In Genesis, we're seeing something that is similar to what we see with Sodom and Gomorrah. Jews making this connection for us. So what is the similarity that's occurring? 
Well, if we go back to Genesis 18 with Abraham, you heard of Father Abraham, had many sons, many sons have Father Abraham, right? Back in this time, we have the story of Lot, and Lot lived in Sodom and Gomorrah. And one day, Lot sees these two angels coming, and the two angels are beautiful angelic beings that are coming, and they're going to judge Sodom and Gomorrah for all their evil and all that's happening. But Lot sees them and says, hey, you guys need to come into my house because this is a bad neighborhood. And if people see you, something bad's going to happen to you. You need to come dwell with me. So they say, okay. So they come in, and they stay with Lot. And in the middle of the night, because Lot knows, uh, the men of the city surround, again, this is shocking, surround the house and demand, they demand that Lot send the two beautiful, angelic men out to them so that they can have sex with them. So, in, again, the, the Bible wrote this. I'm sorry, I'm trying to make it, like, less shocking. But it's very shocking. It's very evil. And this is important. It's important. It, it's very evil. That the men of Sodom and Gomorrah lusted after angels. And what Judah's saying is happening in Genesis is that angels lust, lusted after mankind. They lusted after women. They lusted after humans. Are you still with me? Okay. So in Genesis 6, here's what happens. So the Lord said, My spirit shall not abide in man forever, for he is flesh. His days shall be 120 years. Okay, importantly here, verse 2, let's stop there. God is not saying man is only going to live for 120 years. Because he says this right before Noah, and Noah lives to be hundreds of years old. And then Abraham lives to be hundreds of years old. So he's not going to like make some rule and immediately be proven wrong. So what is he saying? Remember, this is the prologue. This is the title screen. He's saying, I will give you 120 years to repent, but then judgment. God would give man 120 years, but then blood, right? Like, <laughs> you got some time, but judgment. There's going to be a judgment. There's going to be something that happens here. Can I just tell you, God always longs for repentance. God longs for us to be in a spirit of repentance. God does not sit on top just waiting for us to mess up so he can judge us. And thank goodness for Jesus Christ and salvation. None of that happens. But I, even, even, even at the beginning, God was like, I love my people so much. I'm going to give them 120 years. And then when he does finally pass judgment, because people are living so unrighteously, we're like, wow, that's not a God of love. It's like 120 years. That's so, so many. <laughs> So many years, 120. And so, why is that? Because Genesis 6, 4 tells us the Nephilim were on the earth in those days and also afterward when the sons of God came into the daughters of man and they bore children to them. These were the mighty men who were old, the men of renown. Nephilim. Okay, the result of this abhorrent thing that happens is the Nephilim. And the word there for Nephilim literally means the fall. Someone say fall. Fall. But the word Nephilim, if we directly translate it, it comes from the root fall. But if we translate it directly, it means giants. Someone say giants. Giants. It means giant. Nephilim are giants. Specifically, Nephilim are giants. Stay with me here. <laughs> are giant offspring of angelic beings and women. There is a demonic, quasi-human force that is happening here in this moment. And uh, 
That, that's shocking, right? That's, that's shocking. There's lots of interpretations. Uh, people say, why and how, maybe this. But when we look at what these words mean and how they're describing it and how the ancient Near East writers understood it, there was an understanding that there was a spiritual uh, overstepping that is now intersecting the physical world in a negative and evil way, okay? And it says, then the flood comes and it wipes them out. Wipes them out. But as you notice 6-4, it said, and afterward. You're like, wait a second, what? Are you kidding me? They had the, the, the babies before and then later? When? When? Like, what is going on? Hey, I don't know if you knew this, but the earth is profoundly evil. When? Afterwards. Well, when Israel comes in the promised land. Okay, this is the craziest thing. I need to paint you a picture. Can, can I paint you a picture today? I think this is just going to reveal something to you about God's plan from the very beginning. I hope we'll just like open up the Old Testament here for you. When Moses leads the people of God out of Egypt, out of slavery, he sends spies of every tribe into the promised land. They're coming to the promised land. That's a good place. They're ready to go. They're coming in. And uh, so all the spies go out, and they check out the land, and they come back, and they're like, oh my gosh, Moses, it was amazing. There's grapes everywhere, olives everywhere, water, all kinds of stuff. It's flowing with milk and honey. I don't know, like, visually how that looks. It might be kind of gross, but it'd be, it's awesome. It's sweet and beautiful and amazing. And man, it's so good. But there's a problem. Moses is like, there's a problem. Yeah, um, yo, it's full of giants. Like, full of giants. He's like, what? Full of giants. Here's what they say. Numbers 13, 27. They told him, we came to the land to which you sent us. It flows with milk and honey, and this is its fruit. However, the people who dwell in the land are strong, and the cities are fortified and very large. And besides, we saw the descend descendants of Anak there. Someone say Anak. Anak. The Amalekites dwell in the land of Negev. The Hittites, the Jebusites, the Amorites dwell in the hill country. And the Canaanites dwell by the sea and along the Jordan. Verse 32. So they brought to the people a bad report of the land they'd spied out, saying, The land through which we had gone to spy out is a land that devours its inhabitants. And all the people that we saw are of great height. And there we saw the Nephilim. Hey, we know that word. The sons of Anak who come from the Nephilim. We seem to ourselves like grasshoppers, and so we seem to them. So they come to the land, and what do they see? Neph Nephilim. The sons of Anak. Anak was a person. The Anakim are his people. Also called the Rephites or the Rephaim. It's a lot of names for the same thing. A lot of names for the same thing in different languages depending on the people. In fact, when Moses recalls coming into the land, I'm just explaining as they cross over and come into this place, he recalls this moment in Deuteronomy 2.9. He says, The Lord said to me, Do not harass Moab or contend with them in battle, for I will not give you any other land for possession, because I've given Ar to the people of Lot for possession. Here's verse 10. The Emim formerly lived there, a great many, or a people great and many, as tall as the Anakim. Like the Anakim, they are also counted as Rephaim, but the Moabites called them Emim. So there are giants living in Moab called the Emim, and God says, don't fight them because I'm already taking care of them. I'm already dealing with them. And he goes down to Deuteronomy 2.19. I'm going to skip all the way to verse 20. He says, it's also counted as the land of the Rephaim. Rephaim formerly lived there, but the Ammonites called them Zazumim. <sighs> A people great and many, as tall as the Anakim. But look at what it says. But the Lord destroyed them before the Ammonites. Okay, what, what is this? Remember, pots and pans, right? 
pots and pans section of the Bible, what's happening here? Is that God is strategically wiping out demonic strongholds in the promised land. These are descendants from the Nephilim. These are descendants from giants. And in fact, Deuteronomy 3.11, it says, For only Og, the king of Bashan, was left of the remnant of Rephaim. It says, Behold, his bed was of iron. Nine cubits was its length, and four cubits its breadth. Og was from Bashan. You know what Bashan means? Place of the serpent. Bashan was a historic, or a, in, in ancient culture held as the, the uh, spiritual beings came down on Mount Horeb and mated with humans and then therefore made uh, these giants who were in Bashan and Og was one of them. Joshua takes over from Moses and he leads the people into Israel, into the promised land. They begin to come into the promised land. And if you follow Joshua's campaign, if you were to think of like a big map, he's like up here, then he's over here, then he's down here, then he's like back up here. And he's going like very strategic places. And some places he uh, destroys the city or whatever. Some places he leaves alone. And some places he wipes everybody out. Have you noticed that in Scripture? Have you ever read that? And you're like, wow, God, really? Wiping out an like everybody, an entire city? This is important, because a lot of people use this as justification why we can't serve a loving God if he's going to wipe out a whole city. But this is important. What Joshua is doing in going to these places is he's targeting specific places to remove where the Nephilim live, demonic strongholds in the promised land. Demonic offspring who worship demonic forces, who serve demonic forces. See, we're the only culture now that only sees the person in power as they are, that doesn't think about what's influencing them. But since the beginning of time, we've thought about who's influencing the person who's influencing us, right? And so there were these places where there were strongholds. And so when we look at Joshua, there's five places where he goes. Look at this, Joshua eleven twenty one. You still with me? Say amen. Amen. Okay. Joshua eleven twenty one says, and Joshua came at that time and cut off the Anakim from the hill country, from Hebron. Remember, they came down to Hebron. From Debir and Nab, from all the hill country of Judah, from the hill country of Israel. Joshua devoted them to destruction with their cities. There was none of the Anakim left in the land of the people of Israel. Only in, look at these three places, Gaza, Gath, and Ashdod did some remain. Wipes them out, except for these three places. Gath. Gath is one of those places. If maybe, maybe you were in Bible school, Bible quiz people, come on, this is your moment. Bible school people, this is your moment. I know it's like really stuffy in here. Someone turn a fan on, but this is your moment. What famous giant is from Gath? Goliath. Good job. Give yourself a round of applause. That was good. Goliath. Goliath. Goliath is from Gath. So there's giants in the land where they go. First Samuel 17 says, and there came out of the camp of the Philistines a champion named Goliath of Gath whose height was six cubits in a span. He had a helmet of bronze on his head. He was armed with a coat of mail, and the weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of bronze. He had bronze armor on his legs and a javelin of bronze slung between his shoulders. The shaft of his spear was like a weaver's beam, and the spear's head weighed 600 shekels of iron. That's a lot. I think it's like seven pounds. The shield bearer went before him. Goliath is one of these descendants. And he's not even the only one. If you look at Israel, when they're fighting in the promised land, it's just like giants, 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 giants. Everywhere they go, I don't know if you've noticed this, but if you read the Old Testament, it's like everywhere they go, there's a nine-foot-tall giant. Eventually, you'd start to make a connection, right? Like, well, there's an awful lot 
of giants in the land, right? Just one tall family procreating all over the place? Okay, look, look what happens. 2 Samuel 21 says, Ishbanad of the descendants of the giants who spear weighed 300 shekels of bronze, who was armed with a new sword, thought to kill David. But Abishai, the son of Zeruiah, came to his aid and attacked the Philistines and killed him. 2 Samuel 21, 18. I'm going to skip through here, but it says, Sebekai the Hushite struck down Saph, who's one of the descendants of the giants. It says again, the Bethlehemite struck down Goliath, the Gittite. It says in verse 20, the war, there was war in Gath. There was a man of great stature who had six fingers on each hand and six toes on each foot, 24 in number. He was a descendant of the giants. And when he taunted Israel, Jonathan, the son of Shimei, David's brother, struck him down. Can we just say, I've just read you some, but not all of the scripture. Something is going on here, right? See, when I first told you about Nephilim and giants, you're like, that's really obscure. But now it feels like it's everywhere. Are you with me? Like, it's everywhere. There, there are so many in the promised land giants. This is not happenstance. This is a strategic move of the enemy. If you go back to Genesis, God says to Abraham, he says, Abraham, listen, come with me. I'm going to show you the place where you're to go. And God takes Abraham, and he takes him to Bethel, and he says, look up, count the stars. Listen, I'm going to make a great nation out of you, and all people are going to be blessed. All nations will be blessed from you, and we know that the Savior is going to come through Abraham. We know that the promised land of the people to Israel are going to come through Abraham. All these things, he says, listen, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make you a great nation. But guess what also we know? The rebellious angelic beings did not like that. Because they do not want a restored relationship between you and the Most High God. They don't want you to live in the freedom and power of a new life in Christ. They want you to live in isolation and hopelessness. And they said, you know what? I don't know what we can do here, but I know what we can do is we need to do something about this promise that we keep hearing about. And we need to build our own little army, make our own little resistance, build our own giants here. They don't want man to be reconciled with God. Look at this map. I'm going to step down here, camera person. Look at this map I got here. Okay, I want to show you where there's giants based off Scripture. This is where they started. The red line is where the spies went. But Israel actually comes up this way and then down into it. So here, here we go. Ready? Edom, giants. Moab, giants. Sihon, giants. Amnon, giants. Og, giants. Bashan, giants. Beth Rahab giants, Tyre giants, uh, Shechem giants, uh, Gath giants, Hebron giants, uh, Gaza giants, Ashdod giants. This is like surrounded, right? You're with me here, right? This, that's a really good tactical move. You know how you make sure the people of Israel don't come into the land? Make bigger, stronger people that keep them away from the land. Are you with me? Spies go, and they go, Woo, no, 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 nope. Back to the desert, y'all. <laughs> like, no, no. Nine-foot-tall giants, hard pass, right? <laughs> We've been eating bird food for, like, forever, right? You know. Guess that comes later. They say, no. Let me ask you a question. Are the giants that they're facing, all these places, all these places they have to go, are they physical, spiritual, or both? <laughs> Come on, somebody. Are they physical, spiritual, or both? Come on. Both. Okay, when Moses, when Moses comes to the land, and they have to defeat these giants coming up through Edom and Moab, when they come to these very first giants, right after they cross over, they come into trouble, they come under fire. Are these giants that they're facing physical, spiritual, or both? 
when Joshua has to go throughout the land and there's these forces sacrificing children and these giants in the land occupying the land? Is that a spiritual enemy, a physical enemy, or both? Both. Listen, when God puts a promise in the lives of his people, the enemy will always try to come in and put in a foothold. Are you hearing me this morning? When God comes in and he puts a promise into his people and says, this is your promise, the enemy's best plan has been to come in and put a foothold. Some of you, you live this. You are desperately believing for a good relationship, and yet the enemy has a foothold of pornography and lust and constant addiction to affection that has taken root in your heart. It's a giant that lives in the promise. Some of you, God has put a calling on your life, but you live with such self-doubt and hatred and maybe addiction that every time you want to come into the promise, you go, I can't because there's a giant here. Some of you, you have such an anointing upon your life, and yet the anxiety that reigns as the giants in your heart and in your life and in your family is just so great. It's like, I can't even begin to see how we could take the land. I look like a grasshopper to them, and they do to I. But hear me, church, our battle, our battle is not just physical. Our battle is spiritual. But how often do we only focus on the physical? How often do we only focus on the physical? You know, Israel did this. Probably one of the more um, less obvious tragic moments of Israel's history. It's not as obvious on the surface, but underneath it is so deeply, deeply tragic. They've been coming in the land. They've been going up the map. They've been like fighting, 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 fighting giants, fighting giants, fighting giants. You got some tough people, but they're fighting giants, fighting giants. Some of you live this life. You know what it's like. And eventually they go, listen, God, yeah, we appreciate you and all. God, I'm really thankful, you know, but man, we're really tired of fighting all these giants. I know like you've given us power and stuff, but it'd be really cool if you gave us our own giants. We want to look like them. That we're finding these Philistines that got these really tall guys leading them. I want my own tall guy, right? That's what they're saying. I don't, but. <laughs> we want our own really tall giant. Because that's what the enemy tries to do, right? He tries to get you to think solely in the physical. Solely in the physical. Look, they must be winning because of their giant. First Samuel 10, 21 says, Samuel brought the tribe of Benjamin nearby its clans, and the clan of the Metrites was taken by Lot. It says, and Saul, the son of Kish, was taken by Lot. But when they sought him, they couldn't be found. So they inquired of the Lord again, is there a man still to come? And the Lord said, behold, he has hidden himself among the baggage. And they ran and took him from there. And when he stood up, look at verse 23, when he stood up among the people, he was taller than any of the people from his shoulder upward. So his shoulder was taller than their head. Quite tall. Look at verse 24. Samuel said to all the people, Do you see whom the Lord has chosen? There's none like him among all the people. And all the people shouted, Long live the king. Spoiler alert, he did not live long. Why? Why did it not work out? Turns out the same Philistines that wanted the giant to fight ended up killing him. 
didn't work out for Israel, didn't work out for Saul. Why? Because there is a spiritual world with spiritual forces, but how often do we just look for physical solutions? Let's just get a tall guy. Let's just get more money. Let's just go on a vacation. If we could just go to Disneyland, then our family would finally get along, and we would just, we'd come together, and we'd be great if we could just spend some more money, if we could just get a nicer house, if we could just do this, if I could just get the job, if I could just find the right solution, if I could just work more hours, then, then I will overcome it. If I could just find the right guy, or the right gal, if, I, if we could just find this earthly solution, then I will overcome depression. Then I will overcome loneliness. Then I will release bitterness. Then I will be healed from my trauma. Then I will see God move in my life. We're constantly looking for physical solutions to spiritual problems. Are you with me, church? The enemy wants us to think in terms of earthly power. It's like fighting about how big your muscles are, how big your bank account is, how big your personality is, how big your influence is. How big your looks are, how big your will is. But can I tell you this morning, church, fighting battles, fighting giants, fighting giants is not about your height, it's about your heart. Hear me, this is so important that you leave here this morning. If you leave with anything, can you hear me this morning? Fighting giants is not about your height and the status of the world. It is about your heart before the Lord. How is your heart today? Is it ready for battle? Is it ready? Is it ready? I think of David. David, uh, I, I love because, you know, he's deeply flawed like any of us. But he's called a man after God's own heart. And I love seeing how a man after God's own heart takes down a giant. So the giant, Goliath from Gath, descendant of the, Nephil the Nephilim. Remember, this is the enemy's best effort to disharden the people of God, and it's worked pretty good. <laughs> if you read it, it was a pretty good plan. I hate to give it to him, but he did well with this really terrible plan, because they're pretty discouraged at this point, because they're fighting in physical terms. But look what David does. It says the Philistine, this giant, comes out, this demonic stronghold comes out and says, David, says to David, come to me, and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air, to the beasts of the field. Then David said to the Philistine, you come to me with a sword and a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you down and cut off your head, and I will give the dead bodies of the hosts of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air, to the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. And verse 47, this is such a fire line. This is my underline it, whatever you got to do, highlight it, circle it, crease the page, whatever you feel comfortable with, do this. It says that all the assembly may know that the Lord saves, not with a sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hand. David recognizes something powerful here. That, man, if you got to wake it up for the last two minutes, do it this morning. Because he recognizes something powerful. The giants that I'm facing in my life are not just physical. They are spiritual. So I refuse to be caught up in seeing them only as physical. I refuse to fall for that scheme that says by physical power I will succeed or fail. By physical power I'm overcome or I will overcome, right? He says, I refuse to see it. I don't need a better spear. I need the most high God. 
Some of you this morning, I don't need a better bank account. I need Jesus. I don't need another self-help book. I need Jesus. I don't need another opportunity. I need Jesus. I don't need another diagnosis. I need Jesus. I don't need another vacation, another day off, another raise, another promotion, another person, another boyfriend. I need Jesus. Some of you this morning, you didn't think you were going to show up and hear a message on like Nephilim, angel, demon spawn things. <laughs> but they, <laughs> you're like, really? I, I mostly kind of came for the petting zoo, but this is also interesting. <laughs> and you know what? That's cool. <laughs> but here's what I do know. I do know that many of you are facing giants in your life. Some of you just, you're facing them boldly with all, the, all your strength. Something of you, you're just like, I don't know. But many of you today are facing giants in your life. Maybe even in your family, there's some giants. There's just relationships that, that just won't work, and you guys have tried and tried to make it work, and it's just like, man, it's just always resistance, and it works for a while. Your family works for a while. Things are connecting, and all of a sudden, it's just like, man, why does this? It always feels like there's something in here just driving a wedge in this relationship. Some of you, it's oppression you just feel the spiritual weight and you like you shake it off and you go to your small group or you go around your friends you're like yeah everything's great but man when you get home you're just like you feel it you're like why why like i'm I like i'm doing my thing some of you it's addiction depression i don't know it might be some of you it's just the things you're facing right now in your life decisions you have to make obstacles you have to overcome they're giants maybe someone in your family just feeling the weight of the season and you can just sense a spiritual giant in their life. These are not just physical things. These are spiritual things. But hear me. Through Jesus Christ, there is victory over every spiritual giant. Hear me this morning. You came in here with a giant, and I want to tell you, don't just see it as physical. Ephesians 6, 12 says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Man, go ahead and come up. This is more than a physical battle, and it requires more than physical tools. And this morning, man, this morning, hear me say, through Jesus Christ, there is victory. Through Jesus Christ, there is victory. God brings his people into the land. God defeats every giant. Not by spear, not by sword, not by bank account, not by promotion, not by person, by Jesus Christ, by his blood. He came to this earth to pay the price for your sin, to die upon the cross, and he was resurrected to give you new life. We say on the back so that all people can experience the freedom and the power of a new life in Jesus Christ. And then he sent his Holy Spirit to be the anointing upon you so that you might walk in the freedom and walk in the power and to not be overcome. He says, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart for I have overcome the world. I'm gonna invite you, would you just stand with me this morning? Would you bow your head and close your eyes? And maybe you're watching us online, or you're in your living room, just wherever you can find a moment to focus your heart, whatever way. Maybe you're driving uh, down the road, just whatever you can focus your heart in this moment is great. 
Some of you this morning, you're facing some giants, decisions, relationships. You're fighting some battles, addiction, depression, oppression. Someone in your family is overcome by the way maybe, maybe even they are facing addiction or depression or oppression or maybe just weariness or maybe there's a concern or maybe there's, you, you have a significant other you've been praying in or sitting that they might come to know Christ and yet they're constantly resistant to it. That's a giant in your life. Maybe your children have wandered far. Whatever that might be this morning, I believe that God wants to bring victory and can bring victory. But it starts very simply with just surrendering your heart and the battle to him at the altar. And saying, God, I release my power. And I ask that by your power, you would fight this battle. Through prayer, through intercession, through worship. I love Israel because they were active in the battle. But they won by God's authority in the battle. And this morning, I'm not telling you to be passive. I'm telling you to be active, but I'm telling you it's time for God's authority, and it's time for you to release the authority to Him. So in just a moment, we did this first service, and I rejoice over what God did in breaking the chains of releasing people this morning. And I believe it in this service, in this moment, that the Holy Spirit is here in this place as well. And so this morning, if you're fighting a giant or maybe someone in your family and your, or your relationships or your friends and you just want to stand in the gap for them too, that's good. But there's some giants in your life and you're saying, you know what, today I'm not going to get caught into the physical battle. I'm not going to get caught up in just seeing it as physical. I'm going to recognize the spiritual battle and my need for God to intervene. And this morning you're saying, listen, I just want to surrender it all to him. I need victory through you, Jesus Christ just, I'm going to count to three. I'm going to open this altar space, and I invite you in just a moment to come down and begin to pray and worship the Lord in this space. And I know it's scary. If you're new, I just want to say there is no judgment when you step out and intercede either in your life or for others. Amen, church. There's no judgment. Amen. There is no, come on, there's no judgment, church. Amen. 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 I, 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 we, we were all down here for service. <laughs> But some of you this morning, this is your moment to say, God, I need victory in this battle, in my family, in my relationships, in my life, in my health, whatever it is. So one, if you're believing and you're needing to make that shift to fighting a spiritual battle, two, maybe you're interceding for another, someone in your family. You're saying, I got a giant in my life or in my family's life, and I need you, God, to move. Finally, three, I'm just going to invite you down right now. We want to pray with you. If you're saying, I'm gonna, I need victory from the giants in my life, these physical, spiritual giants, I need the Lord to deliver me, just go ahead and come down right now. 